T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Now with the MLB app, you can get baseball your way. Pick your favorite team, your favorite players, and get customized highlights, stories, and breaking news right on your home feed. Follow the action with Game Tip, where 3D replays add another dimension. Plus, notifications can keep you connected to every pitch, every hit, every game. The MLB app. Baseball, your way. Download it now for free from the App Store or Google Play. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Major League Baseball trade parts used with permission. Thanks for tuning in this weekend to Let's Talk Portland, Intercom Radio Portland's weekly public affairs program. I'm Gary Bloxham. During the pandemic, food insecurity has become much more prevalent and much more pronounced. But to help everybody, standing strong and always there is the Oregon Food Bank. Let's talk about it. On the show this time, I would like to welcome Susanna Morgan. Susanna is the CEO of the Oregon Food Bank. Welcome to Let's Talk Portland, Susanna. Thank you for having me. So let's pretend, let's create a scenario real quick here to get us going. Pretend that I'm brand new to the area. Tell me about the Oregon Food Bank. <laughs> You're brand new to the area in the middle of a pandemic, huh? Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> the Oregon Food Bank is at the center of this amazing network of food assistance sites and regional food banks that serves every corner of Oregon. We do two bodies of work. On the one hand, we create access to food through food distributions for folks who are experiencing hunger. And on the other hand, we build community and community power to work on ending hunger for good. And you guys help out a lot of people. Yes. Um, Pre-pandemic, we estimated that there were 860,000 people who asked for food assistance at least once. And the Oregon State University is currently saying that hunger has doubled since the start of the pandemic here in Oregon and Southwest Washington. Wow. I was reading that statistic in the information you sent me, and that struck me as, um, it just kind of blew my mind. It's doubled. Yeah, the... I don't think any of us could have really foreseen the widespread, broad and deep economic impact that has come from um, trying to to fight the virus um, uh, and to keep our communities safe. And that has led to an unprecedented number of people um, having lost their jobs, people home with kids, um, people home because of illness or with unexpected medical debts. The the ripples are far and wide and ongoing. Yeah, it kind of seems like it's going to be with us for a little while. So tell me about the... Uh, <laughs> go ahead. Yeah, please please respond to that. <laughs> yeah, we, we believe that when we come out of pandemic conditions, we will still be in an economic recession for several years following, that it will take us two to four to five years before we reach pre-pandemic levels of hunger again in Oregon. And just to remind you, 860,000 people were struggling with hunger before the pandemic. That's almost one in five. So hunger was a crisis 
in February. It's a super duper mega crisis now, and it's going to take us a long time to just get back to crisis mode. Hi. How does it? Uh, how, how do you keep getting out of bed to do this every day? <laughs> it is a blessing to have useful work to do in the middle of this pandemic. Although I must admit that in the first couple of weeks of the pandemic, I was so scared that we would fail, that there wouldn't, we wouldn't have enough food, that our system would shut down because too many people would be sick in, you know, in my staff and in, in our food pantries. Um, and I actually put up on my wall right here by my desk the Mark Twain quote that courage is not the lack of fear, it's acting in spite of it. It's just, I'm afraid and we're going ahead anyway. And now here we are nearly six months in and we keep succeeding. The community keeps showing up and I am, I'm filled with hope about what we can achieve when we put our minds to it. How have things changed over the last uh, five, six months? Um, you say it was, it was not great back uh, pre-pandemic and now it's really changed. Tell me, tell me about some of those changes. Yeah, so we have um, a core of our neighbors um, who uh, are economically struggling. These disproportionately include communities of color, immigrant and migrant communities, trans communities, and single moms, single parents. Um, uh, but it's, it's wider than that. And then the economic disruption caused by the pandemic response has, has caused a whole new wave of folks who weren't previously um, experiencing hunger to fall into that state, making tough choices about rent or groceries or medicine or groceries um, when paychecks aren't coming in and unemployment is stalled and um, uh, childcare is non-existent. All of those challenges um, uh, are just um, stunning. And, and yet at the same time, we have to say that we, we're seeing our community so resilient. We, we lost a large body of our volunteers in the first couple of weeks because traditionally the volunteers in the food banking world are retirees. And these folks are at high risk and they very sensibly quarantined themselves at home. But there was a whole new body of folks who, who no longer had regular working hours and were able to show up and volunteer and they plugged in and kept the system working. Um, so while we acknowledge that things are really, really tough, we also have to acknowledge how resilient we are and how much people care about our communities. That's pretty awesome. That's uh, that's really uh, encouraging when you see people stepping up because they are available. You know, that's that's a that's a wonderful thing about um, maybe having to stay home. Well, I got a twenty dollar donation in the mail a couple weeks ago, and with it was a note that said, um, "Just got my first paycheck in a while, so just making my first donation in a while." Oh. Um, that that person's first thought was how to give back to the community that had helped them through that time is, it brings tears to my eyes. Yeah. We live in a pretty awesome area. We do. Yeah. So uh, how can somebody, if they're listening right now and want to volunteer and help out uh, in any way, how can they do that? Ah, yes. 
Um, we are absolutely still um, accepting and requesting volunteers, both at Oregon Food Bank and at food pantry sites and meal sites and food assistance sites and regional food banks across the network. People's availability for volunteering comes and goes as we all manage the ups and downs of work and family life and health um, in this situation. Um, so if you uh, surf on over to www.oregonfoodbank.org, um, you can find our volunteer page and um, sign up there. And in addition to signing up for us, we can also redirect folks to other sites that may need assistance. And being that it's the month of September, it's uh, Hunger Action Month. Tell me about that, because that's a great way for people to, I, to get involved. I know. It, it is the month of September. When did, How did that happen? Um, Wasn't it March just like <laughs> six years ago? <laughs> I'm so lost in time. <laughs> but every year, September is Hunger Action Month all across the country. And um, uh, anti-hunger activists stand up and um, take action against hunger. That could be volunteering, as we just talked about. It could be making a financial donation. could be for folks in the food industry making, um, connecting their businesses um, for food donations. Um, it can also be using your voice to advocate and speak with elected officials. And in this particular year, with all that's going on, we are asking people to take a pledge. We are asking people to pledge to vote out hunger this election season. And in particular, we're talking about ballot measures um, uh, and how we can use our votes to choose ballot measures that will help us build communities that are, are even more resilient and even more resistant to hunger in the future. Where can we learn about these ballot measures? Sounds like we need to do some reading. Yes, um, please, um, uh, please come to OregonFoodBank.org um, to uh, check it out. The pledge form is right there. If you sign on the pledge form, you'll get signed up for a, um, an e-list, and we will be sending lots of information out um, through September and through the fall um, about what's going on. I'll give you some examples. So, for instance, at the statewide level, um, there will be a ballot on the statewide um, uh, ballot measure on the statewide ballots this year for drug decriminalization and treatment, Oregon Measure 110, which decreases criminalization for possession of some drugs and increases access to treatment and recovery services. This is uh, anti-hunger work 101 in two ways. Obviously, uh, addiction is a root cause of hunger. Um, if you are currently um, suffering from an addiction, it can be hard to hold down a job and have um, economic stability. And so, of course, we want folks to get into treatment um, and get into food security. It also diverts people from, uh, from prison, from the criminal justice system. And we know, research shows unequivocally that if you have been in prison, your chances of economic success go down dramatically um, because of that prison sentence on your record. So if we can keep people from ever getting into prison, we also help uh, folks um, achieve economic stability and um, prevent hunger in the long run. So that's a great example of um, something you can do to pledge to vote on hunger is to pledge to, to vote for um, Measure 110. And then in the Portland metro area, um, there's going to be a ballot measure called uh, Universal Preschool Now um, for uh, 
over the next decade, building a program for essentially universal uh, school for three and four year olds in Multnomah County. And for us, again, this is core to building resilient communities that never go hungry because the research is clear that when kids get schooling at three and four, they come in better ready to learn and their academic um, success rates are higher. And right now, those those early years are only available to those who can afford them, thus creating a vicious cycle of if you're growing up in poverty, you then end up with a worse education with worse likelihoods of achieving economic stability and getting out of hunger. So if we can intervene by getting folks great education, then we are um, decreasing hunger in 20 years as um, they join the workforce. So those are two ways people can pledge to vote out hunger this Hunger Action Month here in Oregon. We've got a busy November and election season coming up. People, make sure you vote and make sure you're registered to vote, right? Yes, absolutely. Uh, Both of those things. We should make sure you're registered to vote first and then make sure you do vote second. Yes, there is an order to these yeah. things. <laughs> It'd be tragic to make sure you're registered to vote after Election Day. Don't do that. It is important to say, though, that even if you can't vote, you're too too young or um, you're not a citizen, if, for whatever reason you can't vote, you can still participate, right? You can still share education. You can still tell your friends and neighbors why you think it's important and why this ballot measure um, helps. You can still make phone calls um, uh, and and take action to help make sure that these things pass. So, I, I, yes, everyone who can vote should register to vote and vote. And if you can't, you can still be part of a pledge to vote out hunger. We're talking today with Susanna Morgan, CEO of the Oregon Food Bank. Now, Susanna, say somebody, a family listening now or, or just in general needs your assistance. How do they go about getting that? Yeah. Um, go to uh, OregonFoodFinder.org or OregonFoodBank.org. Either one of them will take you, uh, take you there. We have a comprehensive online database of all of the food assistance sites all across Oregon and Clark County, Washington. And it's available in 11 languages. Um, so, And it's just been redone and very easy to use and easy to use on your mobile device as well. So please, if um, you're worried about feeding yourself or your family, our community is here to help. Um, please go find out where those resources are and um, get some help. We know that you're going to be with us um, uh, when you're in a better economic situation and, and have the opportunity to give back like that person who, who sent in $20 after their first paycheck in a while. If someone doesn't have access to the internet, uh, how do they find you? Ah, 211. Um, from any phone here in Oregon, dial 211. Uh, that is the social service information line. Um, and uh, 211 has access to this database, and there's someone there who can um, talk you through, and they have access to translation services as well. So please don't hesitate to call, even if English isn't um, your preferred language. So that's certainly one thing we've been uh, all discovering during the, this pandemic is how uh, not all of us have access to the internet. I my father lived uh, my grandfather lived to be 103. He was born in 1908, and I asked him once what was the most. Uh, important thing that happened in his lifetime, and I was expecting computers or something, what he said was, the country's decision to electrify every house 
in wow. the 1930s. <laughs> that was what changed the, 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 the country is when electricity got to every house. And I think that a century later, we're going through that with Internet access. Yeah. <laughs> so. Oh, what a cool thing to learn from your grandfather. Right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so the Oregon Food Bank, you have pantries and, and food sites kind of all over the state. Is that right? We partner with food pantries and um, food assistance sites all over the state. There are 1,400 of them. So there are oodles. They're in nearly every community. Very few people should have to drive more than 20 miles to be able to get to a food assistance site. And that includes plenty of sites uh, right here in Portland Metro and Southwest Washington. That's right. There are more than 200 sites in the Portland metro region. Um, uh, you know, uh, at a variety of times and hours and different kinds of um, access. Plus, I would say that schools are starting up again and school meals are, are going to be available on a to-go basis um, as well. I'm sure the schools are, are figuring that out just as they're figuring out the start of school. Yeah, <laughs> there's a lot of stuff to figure out right now. Yes. <laughs> With it being harvest time, um, a lot of crops are, are being harvested. How does that help out the Oregon Food Bank? Yeah, um, we depend on um, the partnership with growers throughout the Pacific Northwest, Oregon, Washington, Idaho, for a really large quantity of our food in a normal year. Um, we grow more than 200 commercial crops here in Oregon, and we every week a truckload of potatoes, pears, apples, onions, and carrots comes into Oregon Food Bank from the Pacific Northwest. And then we supplement that with other seasonal crops as they're available. Um, we had great bounty of cherries uh, a month or so ago. Um, peaches are starting to um, come in now. Um, we will see citrus crops coming up from uh, California through the winter to get us through that time. So um, it, is, it, it is a blessing. It is such a blessing that we live in such a, uh, a verdant and um, fertile state um, and that so many folks who are growers are so compassionate and empathetic um, um, to their neighbors and want to participate in uh, fighting hunger. Tell me about the experience of getting food assistance from the Oregon Food Bank. Uh, and I'm, so, I'm assuming things have changed a little bit over the pandemic, but it used to be you could actually go to a, a place and do some shopping. Yeah. Um, and that is still the case in some places. Um, obviously, the public health um, standards have made it more challenging. In pre-pandemic times, the uh, gold standard for a food pantry looked a lot like a pay-nothing grocery store, um, uh, a very small grocery store, where you'd walk in, you'd check in, you'd get a cart, you'd go around and take what you needed off the shelves and refrigerators and freezers, um, maybe with a few rules, like don't take more than one peanut butter, so there's enough for everybody. But it was um, uh, uh, that kind of shopping style experience. Obviously, with a public health um, measures, uh, it's been harder to promote that kind of shopping. Um, uh, and what we're seeing now is these sort of mixed models in which there's a, a pre-made food box and then some choice on top of that. Uh, you know, here are today's, today's vegetables and fruits. Take what you want. Or um, uh, here's masa in case that applies to you. Well, you take some if that's useful to you and your family. Um, uh, but uh, all of our um, 
all of our partners are really welcoming. Um, uh, a lot of the folks who are volunteering have experienced hunger or experiencing hunger themselves. Um, so they, they tend to be these wonderful sources of community and support, even when folks are moving pretty fast and trying to stay socially distant in these crazy times. And sometimes when people think about a food bank, they think, okay, here's your box and this is what you get. And it has stuff in it that you may like and you may not like. How has this shopping experience changed it for people who need assistance? Yeah. Imagine imagine you were doing your grocery shopping um, and you went to, to Safeway or Fred Meyer or New Seasons. Um, and instead of going in and picking out what you wanted, you were given a box um, of food. And it was good food. But it wasn't the food that you wanted. It wasn't the food that you that matched what you already had in your pantry. It wasn't what you've been planning to cook that week. It didn't meet your cultural needs. It didn't meet your dietary needs. Someone else choosing your food for you is always less effective than you choosing your food for yourself. You have all the knowledge to make the best sorts of decisions. So the more we can promote choice in food assistance, the more likely we are to match the right food to the right people. Um, and so even in these pandemic times, we have been, um, many of our food assistance sites have been trying to maintain um, some levels of choice so that people are ending up with food that is wanted and useful and they can be excited about. And doesn't go to waste. You know, that's, that's a big thing just in general. So much food goes to waste. That's right. I have a son with um, celiac disease. Um, so someone gives me bread, not using it. Um, yeah. <laughs> it destroys his intestine, right? And that it would be someone would give me bread from the best of motives to want to make sure that my family had whole grains, but they wouldn't understand what our circumstances was, yeah. were. Um, Let's talk about some misconceptions about hunger and some assumptions that people may have. Debunk some of those things for us. I think that... Um, one of the, uh, the biggest assumptions about hunger is that it is primarily a result of individual choices. That if you, if you work hard enough, if you um, do all the right things, then you will be economically secure. Um, but that's just not the way it plays out. The single biggest um, predictor of whether or not you will be in poverty as an adult is whether you were in poverty while you were a child. Um, uh, so clearly, we are building systems, we are building tracks that are hard to get off of and hard for people to escape. Um, you may have heard it talked about as the zip code problem. The zip code that you grow up in is more likely to ter- determine your economic success than, um, uh, than any of your own personal um, qualities. None of which is to say that, that your own, you know, at work ethic and um, effort doesn't make a difference. Of course it does. Um, but it's happening in this context and in this environment of, of systems which are harder to see. So that's, a, that's the first myth I would wish to debunk, and that is to say that hunger is primarily a result of, of missed opportunities, um, of barriers to access to prosperity through barriers to education, through lack of affordable housing, through lack of um, health care or affordable um, health care, um, through systemic racism as we're seeing the Black Lives Matters movements lifting up right now. Um, uh, I think that's a really big myth. I also think there's a myth that um, hunger is something that happens to other people, but not to me. Um, But the truth is that even in pre-pandemic times, 
one out of every two Americans would utilize SNAP, otherwise known as uh, food stamps. So that means 50% of Americans would rely on government support for some period of time, the average is nine months, during their life when they went through a rough patch, when they lost a job, when they got a bad diagnosis, when they had a car accident, um, when they went through a messy divorce. Um, uh, And if it's 50%, it's not them, it's us. Hunger happens to us. Hunger happens to us. Some of us may be lucky enough to get all the way through our 90th birthday without ever happening to us, but we are the exceptions. Um, uh, And um, and when I think about my own family and think about how many paychecks would I would I have to forego before I started getting really worried, when I think about um, uh, how big a medical bill we could run up, um, I understand that it's it's always there, looming over my shoulder. Um, uh, and I want our our country, our state, and our 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 nonprofit organizations to be building systems that will be there there for me when it happens to my family. And I want the families to whom it's happening now to be treated like the way I would want my family be to, to be treated. So that's the second biggest myth is that hunger happens to somebody else, which it doesn't. Hunger can and does happen to most of us. I think that if if there's a silver lining in this pandemic, many, many more, hundreds of thousands of more of our neighbors now know this because hunger happened to them. They were they they thought it wouldn't, and it did. Um, the bottom fell out of their lives. Uh, so those are um, those are a, a couple myths um, that I would would lift up for folks as they're thinking about how hunger permeates um, our communities. We've got just a few seconds left, but I want you to tell us again how we can uh, get out and help for, uh, in September because it's uh, Hunger Action Month. How can we get involved? Absolutely. Hunger Action Month. Please pledge to vote out hunger. Please sign up to volunteer. Please ask for food assistance if you need it. Please make a financial donation or if you're in the food industry, a food donation. You can do all of these things at OregonFoodBank.org. Susanna, you are passionate. I love my job. Awesome. But it's it's a job you'd love to to uh, not have anymore, right? You'd love it to go away. Oh, I will be the happiest person with a pink slip when we shut down the food bank because <laughs> we have ended hunger. You are absolutely right. Well, thank you for doing the work that you do. We've been talking thank today you with, so much. We've been talking with Susanna Morgan, CEO of the Oregon Food Bank. Thanks, Susanna. Thank you. Let's Talk Portland is an Intercom Radio Portland public affairs program.